that's our job is to maintain and protect this 300-mile backcountry ski trail that runs the length of the state of Vermont. Not going to be all snow. A wintry mix is forecast for the listening area. I'm your host, Alex Kaufman, and welcome to Wintry Mix 29. Back in the Vermont Public Radio studios this time around, which means our intern Caroline Kessler is back on the job. What is the coolest thing you did this summer so far, Caroline? Lots and lots of mountain biking. Also got to go see a bunch of the Copa America soccer games. Probably the coolest thing I did. Where were those? On Boston. Well, that beats what I did. Well, this week, we welcome representatives from the Catamount Trail Association and Vermont Backcountry Alliance to the studio. Recent episodes have been pretty far and wide, so it's a good time to go local again. And if you dig this one, you should go check out episode six, which was live from the Vermont Backcountry Forum in 2015. Caroline, how about those facts to get us ready for the interview? All right. Well, the Catamount Trail Association is 300 miles long, which makes it North America's longest cross-country ski trail. About 145 miles of the ski trail cross private land, which is held by 250 landowners. The namesake of the trail, which is the Catamount, is said to have gone extinct from Vermont in 1881 when the last one was shot, and at that time there was a bounty of a whopping $20 for the animal when it was considered a nuisance. Around 70 sightings are still reported of the catamount annually, but these sightings are usually determined to be that of the Canadian lynx. Wow, $20 a head for a catamount, and that took care of them, you said, by when? 1881. It's been a while. Yeah. Well, we'll be right back with Amy Kelsey from Catamount Trail and Brian Moore from the Vermont Backcountry Alliance. Stay with us. Season two of Wintry Mix is presented by Intopia. Hold on a second. What is Intopia? It's a fair question, Alex. Let's ask the team. Intopia is here to help you sell more and better vacations. Intopia is not a ski resort. Intopia is helping our partners succeed in the ever-changing world of e-commerce. Really good at Mario Kart. Intopia is trusted by ski areas, golf courses, water parks, and more. Intopia is focused on customer service. Let's go ahead and update that price point. And now I'm seeing that product online. Can you confirm you're seeing the same thing on your end? Intopia is... Headquartered in Stowe, Vermont. Where I drink most of my seltzer. International. Named Outside Magazine's 100 Best Places to Work. Intopia is... Dog friendly. Intopia is... Working hard but having fun. Es un grupo de amigos. Intopia is... Always looking for great coders. Designed to be flexible to adapt to ever-changing e-commerce technologies. Intopia is... Going to stop talking now. Visit us at intopia.com. Let's resume, shall we? Wintry Mix 29. My name is Alex Kaufman from the studios of Vermont Public Radio. And we are here today with Amy Kelsey and Brian Moore. Amy is the executive director of the Catamount Trail Association, and Brian Moore is with Vermont Backcountry Alliance. Uh, Before we get really deep into that, guys, what did you do last weekend? You know, I went down to Lake Dunmore for those Vermonters out here. It's a pretty wonderful spot and uh, spent a bunch of time playing with friends in the water. Swimming. Swimming. Paddle boards, boats, dogs, dunking. Did it rain last weekend? Probably probably a little. I was probably in the garden pulling carrots and tomatoes and all sorts of delicious, yummy treats from the earth. That was nice. Playing with the kids. Got two little ones running around these days, jumping over streams and swinging from trees. So 
that's my world lately. We're all making the most of the short summer here in Vermont, um, but I assume that is also a professional task as well. Lots and lots of work going on behind the scenes with the CTA and with Vermont Backcountry. Uh, Amy, help us understand the origin of the Catamount Trail Association, born when and how to do what? The Catamount Trail was born, as I understand it, I'm really relatively new to all this, but born in 1984. There were four guys, recent graduates of various universities and colleges around, and they got this idea, you know, looking up at the Green Mountain saying, hey, let's ski the length of Vermont. And they figured out a way to piece it all together. You know, some of it was old roads, some of it was ski trails, some of it was snowmobile trails. They got a bunch of people around the state to help them patch together. And then they also did it sort of as a media push, like we want to be able to ski in to in. That was the initial vision. Let's like ski the length of Vermont and be able to ski from in to in while we do it. So they started this. And pretty soon they, I mean, within a year, I think they incorporated it as a nonprofit. And then for some 20 years, roughly, this is a little rough, but it was a kind of a one-person show. You know, it was a always has been a very member-driven organization. There was one executive director that wore all hats. Um, in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years, there have been some additional roles, but we're still a pretty small staff. And that's our job is to maintain and protect this 300-mile backcountry ski trail that runs the length of the state of Vermont. So in addition to our mission of making this trail and having it be accessible, um, just on a year-to-year basis, we want it that way forever. So we also work to conserve it, to protect it, to acquire easements um, across those private lands so that if someone sells their house, we know the trail can stay there and the next owners will also host that trail. To date, there's about 80-ish, 75 to 80 miles of the trail that are yet to be secure. So from 84 to now, that's about a 30-plus year history. Now, Brian, your organization that, that is now, if I gather correctly, a program of the Catamount Trail Association, um, not quite as long a history. When did that kick off? Was it the fall of 2014? I don't I know. It, it might was. have been 2013. Your website says 14. I, I think it was that's 14. That's when it was like officially. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's say the winter of 2014 is when we really got going. And the Vermont Backcountry Alliance is, is really a program of the Catamount Trail Association. So we're part of the Catamount Trail Association. And I think it represents uh, the evolution of the sport in Vermont and the changing nature, the gradually changing nature of the Catamount Trail Association, which is increasingly focused on, focused on the broader backcountry environment in Vermont. And I think it's looking at the trail itself, both Catamount Trail members folks that use the trail but might not be roped into the organization yet, and anyone else aware of the trail, I think increasingly views the trail as the backbone of Vermont's greater backcountry environment and a gateway to Vermont's backcountry skiing and riding environment. So with that in mind, more and more of us skiers and riders out there have been thinking about getting organized around creating some local projects um, and programs that support our interests as we evolve as a, as, a, as a community. We've gone from being very focused on the human-powered skiing experience. Skiing got going uh, as a human-powered endeavor in Vermont. We were climbing our hills and eventually started cutting ski trails. Those ski trails led to uh, the creation of some of our most successful ski areas now. And in a lot of ways, the Vermont Backcountry Alliance is a reflection of uh, the sport coming full circle with its roots in Vermont. And we are increasingly excited as a community and as skiers and riders about taking to the backcountry. So from the origin of the organizations to the origin of yourselves, what got you guys interested in this uh, in the years leading up to whether it be launching a program with uh, Vermont Backcountry Alliance, for example, or getting involved in the CTA? Uh, Where did you guys grow up skiing? What got you interested in this sort of thing? 
Yeah, I grew up skiing in Maine. I'm from western Maine, a little hill called Pleasant Mountain, now known as Shawnee Peak. So I spent my life, it was 10 minutes from home. I'd get dropped off at 8 in the morning if I could get my parents to take me there that early, and I usually couldn't. I'd literally get picked up when they closed at 4. Um, it was a little later when they started having night skiing. So it really was a part of my life. And I also grew up not a Nordic ski racer. I was a bit of an alpine racer, but never... Um, anything too serious. But we just had cross-country skis always. They were in the house. And I lived in a place that I could just go out. Professionally, I ended up working quite a bit in outdoor education and taking people backcountry skiing and snowboarding and, um, you know, backpacking for months at a time. Where, where did you do the months at a time backpacking? Most of that was in Wyoming and Idaho, a little bit of Alaska. But after doing that for a bunch of years and feeling the urge to come back to New England, there's something about New England that that kept pulling me back. It might have been the water. I came back and was like, okay, how do I keep doing this outdoor gig but also have a community and have a job that can support me? So I did some planning for a while, community planning, regional planning around um, central part of the state. And then this job at the Catamount Trail Association popped up, and it was a trail manager position. The job was to work with all the landowners and make the trail better and work with the land managers. And I thought that's a pretty cool way to combine something I really love, skiing, with a type of work that I really like, too. And uh, it sounds, in hindsight, you know, it all sounds perfect. Like, oh, this worked out just right. It was this perfect plan leading into it. And I don't know if it ever is that way, but I do feel fairly fortunate to uh, be able to make a ski trail for a living. That's my story. <laughs> That's a good story. Have, let's hear yours, Brian. What's your story? Good job with it, too, Amy, by the <laughs> way. Um, born and raised skiing in New England and mostly in Vermont, where my grandparents settled in the in the 60s. And always took to the backcountry as a kid with my my siblings and friends. Um, but also was raised riding lifts and, you know, it seemed like we never got enough and we'd get home after a day at the ski area and we'd just keep hiking and skiing. Uh, and sometimes we were hiking and sledding and trying to keep the sand man from running up our plowed road and ruining the sled track. Um, but if that was the case, we'd, we'd jump back on our skis and build kickers in the woods and so on. But as most kids tend to, but really a, a childhood spent growing up, you know, climbing hills skiing down them um, evolved into a profession, really, um, that's been focused on writing, documenting, photographing these pursuits. Give me the Catamount Trail. We're in an elevator. You have one sentence. Go ahead. The length of Vermont on skis. That's great. Check. That's a phrase, isn't it? It's kind of a tagline. <laughs> it's been around for a little while, but it's a good one, you know? And I think one thing that we try to figure out with the Backcountry Alliance, it's like it's still the length of Vermont on skis, but you can go on side adventures, too. <laughs> And as for the Vermont Backcountry Alliance, we are a program of the Catamount Trail Association, our mothership, focused on connecting Vermont's evolving backcountry skiing and riding community. Sources of funding. Um, you guys aren't affiliated with the state as far as funding, if I understand correctly, or do you get some from there? Where does most of your money and, and funding come from? Most of our money and funding comes from memberships, contributions, donations, a little bit from events, a little bit of retail. But most of it comes from fundraising. Um, in those very direct ways. There is a portion, too, that comes from, um, you know, grants. And so in the state sometimes comes into that picture. The state is very supportive and helpful with us, as is the Green Mountain National Forest, the federal government, in terms of maintaining the trail on the ground. But there's no uh, direct feed coming from their bank account to ours. Um, it is a occasionally a competitive process where we're able to acquire some funding or some funding support from them. So it's not um, without support from the state and the feds, but it's not a um, guaranteed annual source of our revenue. 
Well, I'm sure the primary way that you do that is with whatever initiatives you have going on right now, telling people, this is what we're doing next. This is what's coming down the pike. If you're interested, let's let's work together. So so what are the, the top two or three things you guys are working on this summer? Well, summertime for us, um, it's either projects on the ground or it's our biggest event of the year. And projects on the ground include some that are very backcountry focused. Um, I'll let Brian talk a little bit about what's going on down around Brandon Gap and Rochester area. Sure. Um, and on the Catamount Trail, there's always a bunch of projects where we're taking off in the summer. So sometimes it's working with the Vermont Youth Conservation Corps and they'll come out for a week or two. Um, we were just working together with the Mad River Path Association to rebuild some bridges down in Waitsfield. So it's a constant running out into the woods, building bridges, hiring excavators. It's just logistically in the summertime. Tweaking um, trails, tweaking improving trails, trails. improving them, moving them sometimes. And then for us, the, one of our largest fundraisers at Catamount Trail Association is the Race to the Top of Vermont. So um, the North Face Race to the Top of Vermont goes up the Mount Mansfield Toll Road, 4.3 miles, 2,564 feet or something along those lines. And um, we ask people to come run, hike, or ride their bike up it. So we're hoping to have a big crowd. We can have 800 folks up there, and we have hit that number on a couple occasions. So we hope to hit it again this year. And unicyclers are welcome. <laughs> Seriously. Probably anything that you can human power up the hill, right? Yeah, we've had... More or uh, less. We've had, roller skates? We've, we've not had roller skates. It's a bit <laughs> bumpy. It does turn into gravel. But we have had... Um, Moms with strollers. We've had a couple dads with, uh, you know, like the chariot behind them on the bike. Wow. Pretty tough work. Um, we've had a hand cycle. No tandems yet, but that would Ooh. be an interesting category to explore. And we do have this year gravel grinders, fat bikes, you know, any kind of bike is really welcome. I think the limiting factor we have set is your brakes. So you have to pass the brake test. Make right. Sure How do people right. go down after? Do they, they ride down? Or under they... their own power. Yeah. That is what we're about. Human powered activities. That's hot brakes. <laughs> And the downhill is sort of off the course. I mean, it's, I mean, you follow the route, but it's not part of the time. It's not event. part of the race. Right. Yeah. They just want to make sure everyone gets home safely. So it's a good time. And does it usually sell out? Do people need to act soon? It comes close to selling out. I'd say act soon. The prices go up as you wait a little longer. So it, it behooves a participant to sign up now um, and save a little money, support the Catamount Trail and the Backcountry Alliance and uh, have a good time. Yeah, by the time you hear this, it'll be early August, so definitely act quick. If you, By the time you're hearing this, there's not that much time ah, there left. There you go. So. It is. It's at the end of August. It's Sunday, August 28th. One moment while I pay my physical therapist really quick. Wintry Mix receives support from Ski Vermont. Visit SkiVermont.com for the latest details on all things fun in the Green Mountains. Also, Snowbird, Utah, which receives 500 inches of snow annually, located just 30 minutes from Salt Lake City International, snowbird.com, of course, plus Peak Resorts, talking Atitash, Wildcat, Mount Snow, Hunter, Crotchet, and Jack Frost Big Boulder. Get up this summer or check out their Peak Pass for your skiing this winter, peakresorts.com. And hopefully you're entering our L.L. Bean promos on the Wintry Mix Instagram page. I just gave away a snowfield backpack and have some Neo Shell jackets up next. Clickety-click. Now back to the show. One thing that the Vermont Backcountry Alliance has has done over, over the last uh, couple of years since we, we got off the ground is create a, a structure for local organizations, local groups, new, new uh, grassroots community groups interested in backcountry skiing and riding to become chapters of the Catamount Trail Association. 
And we've got two chapters officially now, um, one of which is really active in central Vermont in the heart of the Green Mountains, known as the Rochester Randolph uh, Area Sports Trails Alliance, RASTA for short. So RASTA has single-handedly, over the last couple of years, established relationship with landowners and gotten several backcountry zones off the ground. One on a privately conserved piece of forest land in Braintree, Vermont, known as the Braintree Mountain Forest. A uh, really incredible project with several uh, gladed ski lines that drop about a thousand vertical off a, a, a north northeast facing slope, and then another project really exciting, the first of its kind in in the country, a partnership with the United States Forest Service, the Green Mountain National Forest near Brandon Gap. Up in the kingdom, we've got the Northeast Kingdom Backcountry uh, Coalition, which is another chapter of the CTA that's come to life, and they have submitted a proposal with the state for a backcountry zone in the Willoughby State Forest that is still pending approval, uh, but it's another example of a locally grown project being driven from the ground up by skiers and riders who are excited to develop terrain in their area. Um, The idea of establishing more maintained backcountry zones that local communities can develop and maintain and promote locally uh, is a really exciting one for, for communities around the state. And we hope that this new structure that allows local groups to become chapters of the Catamount Trail Association is going to be a way for our organization to grow over time and take in new folks who have a much greater interest in acting locally than being a part of a a statewide organization that might be harder to connect with on a regular basis. How do you approach landowners? What's What's the value to them? I think that's a great question. I mean, increasingly, human powered recreation is a significant value uh, for landowners. Uh, There are programs that allow landowners to receive tax breaks, essentially, if they make accommodations for for recreation, if they open their land to to public access for recreation. Um, Trail networks are being established on community lands, town forest, state lands, but also on private lands because people are recognizing that there's enormous benefits to having trails on your land. Not so much because a landowner might want to sell their land and it's more valuable with a trail network, although it might be, and it probably is, uh, but because it creates more community. If you build it, people come. Compare and contrast for me um, the Catamount Trail and the Long Trail. So obviously one's for hiking, but they both go the distance of Vermont. One's probably on ridgelines, whereas I assume Catamount Trail is probably more in the valley. Uh, but I would assume that maybe operating the trails is has some similarities, correct? There's certainly some similarities. I uh, call up the Green Mountain Club quite often for advice, and they're generous to to help out quite a lot. Um, I'd say that the major difference is when the Catamount Trail was started, the idea was let's connect ski towns. Let's connect in to in. Let's have this be something that goes through communities and and is an economic driver for those communities. And to a certain extent, that has happened. There's portions of the trail where you can do a great job with that. Anywhere from you know, the Mad River Valley up till north of Stowe, you can do a pretty good job connecting inns and not having to travel too far from the trail to find a place to stay. But to get that strung, the whole length of the state is challenging. The Long Trail is up on the ridgeline, like you mentioned, challenging place at times to ski. You, If anyone's been on the Long Trail, you know, there's ladders and ledges and things like that, difficult to negotiate in the winter. So the trail typically stays on the flanks of the Green Mountains. It crosses over a couple times. It crosses the long trail a few times. Um, so there's portions that are shared, but the 
And there's a lot that's similar about maintaining the trails. Our tread is not as sophisticated, I would say, because it doesn't have to deal with the degree of impact. There's snow on it when people use it. It's designed for winter use only, which means you put snow on it and hopefully it freezes and then it doesn't have much impact on the ground below. Is it? It's not groomed though, is it? It's not groomed. It also goes through Nordic centers. So that again was part of the initial vision. And the number of cross-country ski centers, I think, has has declined a little bit in the... Um, since the Catamount Trail started, the number has declined in Nordic centers, but there's still many out there. We currently pass through 10 or so. So when the Catamount Trail is in a Nordic center, you may be on their groom systems. Broken up into how many chunks? I mean, is there a, is there a number as far as parcels or different pieces of land? I mean, how many individual little snippets are there to connect the entire thing? Well, that's a really good question. Sections, we divide we it into them, right? sections to make it sort of like a one one section you could ski in one day, roughly, although a lot can change out there. Um, really deep snow can slow you down. A lot of ice can slow you down. But it's 300 plus miles. I heard 320 from the last person who took their uh, heart rate monitor and Garmin the whole route about two years ago. And we break it into 31 sections. Vermont is not known for, say, hut-to-hut backcountry skiing as places in the West are, British Columbia, Colorado, Idaho. Of course, across the big pond, the Atlantic pond, we've got the Alps in there their world-famous mountain hut system. So the idea of the Catamount Trail being in place and offering currently some end-to-end skiing potential has got people thinking more and more these days about, A, could we fill in the gaps a little bit along the Catamount Trail? And then what about all these new backcountry zones that folks are interested in? Should we be thinking about connecting them with cabins and huts along, along the way? And Rasta down in central Vermont already has a cabin that they're renovating on Braintree Mountain Forest property. And it's intended to be more of a warming hut and usage is quite limited in the first year or two as I, as I say this, but their, I, their, their hope is that this will become part of a, a hut network down in Rasta country. Um, folks in the Mansfield, Stowe, Bolton, Mad River Valley area are thinking the same thing. And I know as people are listening to this, the gears are turning in their head about places they would love to go out to a hut or have a backcountry zone with a hut nearby or a few huts that they could do a weekend loop on. It's it's very romantic. Uh, it's a very exciting thing to think about. But if it's going to really work, it needs to be not just skiers and riders. You know, it needs to be a four-season thing. And I think it's very exciting to think about how, you know, bike packers, mountain bikers, hikers, hunting, fishing, all these things. We have a lot of huts and cabins in Vermont, but if there were a network that really connected and provided that sort of web um, to help people get out there and be out there and enjoy it with their families year-round, um, then it starts to be something that someone could actually do as a business, you know, um, to, to have a hut in their backyard that maybe some people come in and out of at all different times of year. Well, from the best possible scenario of people saying, I'm going to build a hut so people can use it, to the opposite end of the spectrum, um, what does it take to lose a parcel? I assume that once in a while, all of a sudden, the trail has a hole in it because something happened. I mean, when? how often does that happen? Uh, what do you do when that happens? Fortunately, it does not happen that often. And I think the amount that it happens has decreased with time. But it does still happen. And it could be any number of things. Sometimes someone is... Building a house, you know, a a piece of property is open and someone chooses to build a new house there. What was the Catamount Trail is now their driveway. They don't really coexist very well together. 
sometimes that just turns into an opportunity because you end up finding a better way. Um, and you work with the folks around you. And if that landowner is amenable and helpful, which usually is the case, you, know, you can find an alternate route. And for the most part, that's been my experience, that when something has shifted, someone else has said, hey, here's a way around here. And it's a really nice way for the community to come together and figure out another way around. And in many cases, it's improved the overall route of the trail. You know, every now and then there's something a little sticky. Sometimes people use the trail when they're not supposed to. It is a winter trail. Our permission is November to April. Motorized vehicles, um, just inappropriate uses occasionally, you know, upset a landowner for good reason. I understand that they would do that. Uh, So we do our best to patch it up. We do our best to prohibit and um, prevent that from happening. But all you can do is work with what you got. I'm very thankful that I can think of two examples in the last five years that I've had to figure out another way around. Um, and it hasn't it hasn't been insurmountable, thankfully. Is there participation data? Do you know how many people are using the trail every winter? We have some data, but we all we can track is people that we know are participating in activities that we provide. So we do track participants in the various tours. We offer some 50-plus free tours on the trail and sometimes off the trail throughout the winter. So we know how many people participate in those. We know how many people come to our events. We can track that. We've had register boxes, any of you that, you know, how, how often do you sign into that register box at the trailhead? 50% of the time, 100% of the time. So you can collect that data, but then you really just have to figure out what your algorithm is um, to know what it means. So we don't have really good numbers. We know about a thousand people participate in all of our events in any given year, but that's just a small percentage of who's out on the trail, whether they're skiing from point to point or just using the trail to get to something. And I think there's quite a bit of trail use to get from here to there to do something else that's not on the Catamount Trail. At least just anecdotally as an observer, I see your events, uh, like your night skins and things like that at Bolton, um, a lot more in my face than I did a couple of years ago. I mean, I assume those are growing, correct? I think there's a, there's a whole spectrum out there. There's some people that just want to ski uphill for fun. They don't. It doesn't matter that they're at the resort. And for a lot of us, that can be fun in the beginning of the season or if you don't have any other options. Yeah, and at some of the events, we bring in um, manufacturers of the gear and reps and retailers who can offer demos of equipment. And for folks who have never gone backcountry skiing and don't know what a pair of skins are or how to apply them to skis or a split board, they can practice using the equipment and, and get a handle on the gear in a pretty controlled, comfortable environment and not be off trying to navigate funky snow conditions, um, you know, on a, on a snowy day that's forecasted to turn to rain uh, four hours later. So, Is there a membership number? 2,000 members. 2,000 members of the Catamount Trail Association. 30% of those are from outside of Vermont, which is pretty interesting, I think. We have a lot of folks that come use this trail that travel from Virginia, Pennsylvania, a lot of Massachusetts, Connecticut. What question do you guys spend the most time answering? How can I get involved? And then a lot of a lot of questions about the details of the trail. Like, what's a good three-day tour for me to do? Where should I stay? How hard is it? Am I in good enough shape? Or what what skis and boots should I have? How do you answer that question? Well, we we typically direct people towards a metal-edged, waxless, three-pin or BC NNN type binding on their ski. But, you know, you get people that speak all variety of gear language. And what I'm saying right now may sound very simplistic to some people and sound like, what are you even talking about to others? Um, 
But that's what we tend to recommend. But I'll tell you, the Catamount Trail on a pair of skinny skis from the good old days is a big adventure, you know, and that's what everyone was using then. Now you see a lot of people out there with pretty beefy equipment. I think it makes the experience accessible to more people. So the breadth of equipment available now is part of the reason this whole backcountry alliance has come to be. Yeah, it's Um, much easier to make turns with shorter, wider skis, boots that are more supportive, maybe some plastic, a couple of buckles on that boot. Uh, that's definitely contributed to the the growth and popularity of more downhill-oriented backcountry skiing. There used to be this perception that if you wanted to kind of backcountry downhill ski, you had to know how to telemark, and that's really not the case, especially now with all this fancy AT gear that's much lighter than any of the tele gear out there and right. easier. You know, you don't have to learn a new sport. If you're already an alpine skier, you can just hop out there. So before we get you out of here, i got to be a bummer one time. What does the winter like last winter's do to you guys? Oh, it, you know, I think it was hardest on morale. Honestly, it was really hard right. to. It was thin. It was thin. It was thin. But we've been so grateful to our members and supporters who we've said, you know, it was thin, but we need you to stick with us because next winter it could be the best one yet. Um, Odds are in our favor. Yeah, and so and we've I been there. I have to say we're um, thankful this year, and that so far. We haven't seen the memberships or donations drop off as a result of it being a bad winter. Now, if we saw two of these in a row, I don't think we've ever seen two of these in a row. I don't know quite what would happen. But the other thing, it's uh, It's it's made us think a little bit more, too, in a very healthy way about, you know, the Catamount Trail and the Backcountry Alliance are really focused on a short season. Um, A lot of the industry in Vermont, the ski industry, you know, depends on this really short season. And you watch the alpine areas with their mountain bike trails and zip lines and water parks. And we're not putting any of those on the Catamount Trail. But we are thinking (laughs) about, you know, what does the future look like for us? I mean, we can't just bury our head in the snow or the sand um, as we think about climate change. So it's a big issue on the horizon for the Catamount Trail, I think. And I don't think the Catamount Trail is going anywhere, but I do think there's some adapting to be done. And whether that means the trail is a little more pristinely groomed so you don't need as much snow to be on it, or if we get snowmaking, just kidding. Um, (laughs) Mow mow those pastures a little shorter in the late fall, that last cut. Ask your local farmer, can you cut it just a little shorter? Um, And start to think about those areas of overlap, too, because there's a lot of places where we already overlap with four season trails. But how do we make that a loop? How do we you know, do we have the capacity as an organization to do something in some of those other seasons? Well, you should have quite a bit of pent up demand for your (laughs) 16, 17 winters. So Amy, Kelsey, Brian Moore, best of luck next winter and best of luck with the uh, race to the top. Right. Coming up. Coming up. Thanks, Alex. 28th. Top of Vermont, Mount Mansfield. Be there. All right. We'll be right back. Well, let's wrap on episode 29. CatamountTrail.org is the place to keep tabs on what Brian and Kelsey are up to. Caroline, what are you up to the rest of the summer? I am heading out west to visit my brother. He lives just outside of Reno in Nevada. What are you going to do out there? Mountain bike. Apparently, I'm supposed to go dirt biking. Uh, We're going up to Glacier National Park on the way back. Stopping in Denver on the way there should be a good trip. So you're not back in Vermont until September? I am back in Vermont August 27th, right before school. All right, I'll pull you back in the studio right before then. Perfect. All right, that was episode 29. I'm your host, Alex Kaufman. Wintry Mix has support from Vermont Public Radio and their members with production help from Liam Connors and Angela Evansy. Our theme music is by Adam Levy. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever else you suck these things down. Reviews and ratings are always appreciated, and they're 
it's sort of the least you can do. Say goodbye, Caroline. See you later. Goodbye. Yeah, I'll be able to tie that. You can tie that. Cool. Perfect. Thanks for the catch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I always mess it up.